2: good afternoon my conscious co-creators welcome to another edition of the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity i am very very pleased that you are all here with me today I've got a wonderful guest in store for you today, another amazing author uh, talking about her uh, experiences in her life. I think you're really going to like this one. Um so I hope you're all doing well. I'll be had a chance to catch uh last week's show uh, about recentering Seth uh, all about the the Jane Roberts and and uh Jonathan Friedman's experience uh working with Jane Roberts. Um, But let's kick the show off. Of course, we'll get started with our section from my own book, Everyday Awakening, which of course, if you haven't gotten it yet, you can get it at everydayawakeningbook.com. And this section is entitled, If we take responsibility for our part, we can change our life. There is one magical key for changing our life, one ingredient that we have to include to involve. It is not about a secret practice or ritual. It is simply this. We have to take responsibility for our part in life. We have to take responsibility for how we show up in the world. We have to take responsibility for our side of the relationship. This does not mean we have to take responsibility for anyone else's part, only our own part. Others have to take responsibility for their part. And that is their work, not ours. Our work is to truly take responsibility so so we are empowered to change. For it is only when we truly take responsibility that we recognize our own power. That we see how we are a creator. That we know we have contributed to everything in our lives. We are not responsible for what happens to us. We are responsible for how we react to it, for the meaning we make from it, and for the next choice we make. We cannot change the past, yet we can change the present moment by making a different choice, by owning our own participation, by accepting that we can be different. We can change. We can choose a different path. And then we can move forward consciously with intention and awareness. How others decide to respond to us is their business. Ours is to own our part and move forward with intention. That's how we change our life. Is there somewhere in your life you want to take responsibility for how you've reacted? Can you shift your reaction to one that is more conscious, more aware? So this section of my book I wrote a while ago, and I kind of wrote it, um, and this is this is something that I've talked about for many years, especially with a lot of my coaching clients, about learning to take responsibility for what's happened in our lives. Because it, it's very, very easy to, um, allow ourselves to be victims to what happened to us in our lives. We feel like this person wronged us and because of society, because of this group, because of what this person did and what that person did. And there was always something about blaming other people or blaming the circumstances that just never sat right with me. And, and it, it, it took me a while to kind of come to this idea that, It's not about what other people, it's not about the circumstances, it's not about what other people do. It's really about how we decide to show up and how we respond to it. And there have been so many great figures in society who embody this. I mean, Nelson Mandela, I think, is is one of the the biggest examples. Gandhi, uh, uh, you know, Christ. There are just so many people who have suffered tremendously yet they didn't let the suffering make them bitter they didn't allow what somebody else did change who they were deep inside and what i find is is that especially when i'm working with people and coaching people that when they start to take responsibility for their part of the relationship when they start to see that you know If there's something in the relationship, whether it's an intimate relationship, a business relationship, a, a, a friendship, that if we put up with somebody else acting badly, well, them acting badly is about them, but us putting up with it is about us. Us accepting it and not doing anything about it. Us, you know, not changing our own circumstances, not doing what we can do. That's on us. Now, look, I'm not saying like if you're in an abusive relationship that you should take responsibility for being abused. Absolutely not. Uh, That is not what I am saying at all. What I am saying is, though, if... Uh, you, you have a relationship at w- a co- work with a coworker, let's say, and the coworker is constantly saying things that make you feel uncomfortable, but you never say anything to them. You never talk to your boss about it. You never talk to HR about it. Well, then you're just accepting it and putting up with it. You're not doing anything about it. You can say, to, first of all, to that coworker, go directly to the source. Hey, you know, when you say that, it really makes me uncomfortable. Well, when you do this, it's, it, it really doesn't make me feel good. Then we're taking responsibility for our half of the relationship. Now, look, how they respond and how they react to what you say when you uh, talk about what makes you feel uncomfortable, or what doesn't feel right by you, how they react to that, that's all about them. That's not about you but how we decide to either put up with the situation or not put up with the situation is about us. And and I'm talking in very general terms here, but ultimately, and, and, and maybe we just need to start with the little things in life. How we choose to show up, how we choose to take responsibility, even for the little things in life, that's how much we're owning our power. That's how much we're deciding that we're a creator in our life, not a victim in our life. And and again, it's not about what happens to us. It's not about what other people do. It's about us choosing to stand in our authenticity, in, in in, in our personal power, in our integrity, and saying, you know what, I don't like this situation the way it is right now, and I'm going to change it. I can't change anybody else, but I can change myself. And that, to me, is, is one of the essentials uh, in my book, Everyday Awakening. I mean, I, I cannot stress enough how important this concept is of taking responsibility for our life. Because we do create our life through all of our choices and decisions, through our energy and how we show up, how we treat others. Right? How, we, how others treat us is about them. How we treat others is about us. So I, I, I hope you, 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 you take from this what my intention was behind this. That we are powerful beings. That that we have so much control over our lives, much more so than we ever give ourselves credit for, and that we really do make the difference in our own life. So how about for this week, you know, until next week's show, just examine, do a little self-examination this week, play a game with yourself. Can you catch yourself when you're taking responsibility or not taking responsibility for something? Now, look, taking responsibility for the good stuff, that's easy. We got that one down. Not always, but sometimes that's a little bit of work. But taking responsibility for the good stuff is easier. Taking responsibility for the bad stuff, taking responsibility for our half of the relationship, not always so easy. So um, let's see if we can be a little more conscious about that in our life. So, um, again, that section is from my book, Everyday Awakening, which, uh, of course, you can get at www.everydayawakeningbook.com. All right, and so let, let's get to it. Um, oh, I see loyal listener Sanaya has already checked in saying, I so needed this reminder today. Uh, I think we all need this reminder um, as often as it comes to us <laughs> uh, because it, it it's something that we all need. So anyway, let, let, let me not dilly-dally. I'm very, very excited to welcome to the show uh, author, speaker, and doctor, uh, Erica Elliott, M.D. Dr. Elliott is a medical doctor with a private practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She served as a teacher for Indigenous children on a Navajo reservation in Arizona and in the mountains of Ecuador. In '93. Uh, uh, Dr. Elliott helped found the commons a co-housing community in Santa Fe where she raised her son and continues to live she gave a TEDx talk about living in co-housing which I, I love the idea of co-housing referred to affectionately as the health detective she treats mysterious and difficult to diagnose illicit illnesses at her clinic within the commons Erica is a frequent radio guest and has worked has given workshops at various venues, including Esalen and Omega Institute. Dr. Elliot has released her first book, Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert, that recounts the early years of her extraordinary life living among the Navajo people. As a young woman in the early 70s, Erica arrives at a Navajo boarding school to teach and then becomes a student herself of the mystical, earth-centered wisdom that has been lost to most in today's modern society. As Erica reaches across a wide cultural divide to learn the Navajo language, the people begin to trust her and invite her into their homes, their ceremonies, and into their hearts. Welcome to the Conscious Consult Now, Erica. It's my Thank pleasure.
3: You. Thank you, Sam. I just want to say before we launch in that your talk was very relevant to my life. And it's uh, taking responsibility for oneself is one of the keys to being a happy, fulfilled person. And it allowed me to find my authentic self and lead an authentic life because I stopped blaming my childhood and the way I was treated and all these obstacles I had to face and uh, and and reclaim uh, my own responsibility. It was incredibly liberating to me. And so many people say, how did you do all these things? Well, it's because of one of the reasons because what you're talking about, It, it was so liberating for me to take responsibility for my life and be who i really am and wonderful so thank you
2: wonderful Oh, you're welcome you know it's kind of funny because i'm just reading these little sections of my book in order um i think this is like number 52 and but somehow they're always so appropriate for the particular discussion and the guest i have that day um So we just have a couple of minutes before we go to break. So I just uh, would love we'll just start off and then when we come back, we'll 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 continue on. But maybe if you can give our audience like a little bit of a background uh, about how you you um, started in life, how how you came to be a a teacher in a Navajo community um, and why you became a doctor.
3: Uh, that that's a lot to talk about
2: all right but, just a little piece of okay, it in I'll the give beginning you a
3: little piece because i didn't have a normal upbringing i was raised around the world because of my father's work my mother's swiss so i i come uh-huh. from a whole lineage of swiss doctors and uh-huh. um and i spoke many languages already in just high school i graduated wow. from high school in in germany and i i went to start a school in England. So I had a British accent at one time, which I had to get rid of really quick <laughs> when we moved to Texas and talk like bam or else I'd get bullied as a second oh. grader. And so I my whole life was like learning how to fit in and learning how to adapt to new cultures, speak new languages, and step into the other person's shoes and see life through their eyes. So I was already skilled at that as a very small child. And so that's probably why I could learn Navajo is because even though it's the most difficult language in the world and it was the only code in World War II that was never broken because it wasn't even a code. It was just their language. It's so impossibly hard but that gave me a little bit of an edge to, to try and learn this incredibly impossible language. Wow. And that made all the difference in bridging the cultural divide. So I'd already been used to facing different cultures, and but I'd always, since the time I was a girl, had an attraction to Native Americans and probably because I was so nature-connected as a girl and nature was so important to me and it seemed like native americans at that era when i was still young had not lost that connection and every they were related in their minds to everything around them and so when i graduated from college with a degree in education and teaching certificate I looked through the trade journals and they all looked so boring, the positions that were opened. I just thought, oh brother, maybe I chose the wrong career path. I, I, w- I was you know, 21. And um, then I saw one opening <laughs> that my inner compass says, yes, this is the one. And it was a, for, um, a fourth grade teacher in a remote area in the Southwest. And I'd never been out to the Southwest. And it was a Bureau of Indian Affairs boarding school. And everybody asked me, why do you want to do a thing like that? And boarding schools, Native American boarding schools, have a very bad reputation for treating the children very badly. Yeah. And, um, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Why exactly do you want to do that? And I could not tell them why. All I could say is I have an inner knowing that this is the right thing to do even though I cannot explain it. And that's the story of my life, being guided by an inner compass. And the few times where I didn't follow my inner compass were disastrous.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, let's hold it there. Um, There's a little piece of that story that that, uh, you didn't say yet, which I want to get to when we come back. Um, uh, but, But let's hold that when we come back We'll talk about um, you starting off as a teacher, and then uh, how you became a doctor, and and then kind of how it all. Uh, how your life all came around and and how you documented it in this wonderful, wonderful book, uh, Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on talkradio.nyc. And you can find our video all over Facebook on Facebook Live. And we will be right back with Dr. Erica Elliott after these messages. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. Uh, Erica Elliott about her new book, Medicine and Miracles in the High Desert. Now, uh, when you uh, uh, decided to apply for that position as a teacher in this uh, 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 Indian Bureau of Affairs, Um, you didn't get a response right away, did you?
3: (laughs) No. And so I thought, oh, they found somebody. And so I decided to take a year off, give myself that gift. And I spent the year traveling around, visiting my relatives in Switzerland and stuff. And after a year, I, I visited my sister in California. And on her table was a letter from the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Washington, D.C., and it had gone all around the world, trying to catch up with me being forwarded. And it said, we want, we want you, <laughs> come right away. And this was a year ago. And so, and so I told my sister, I was gonna call them up. And and sh- she said, well, you know, I'm sure they have somebody by now. And if they don't, that, that doesn't bode well for that place. And so I called up and they said, we haven't found anybody, we want you right now. And, and the school year wow. had already begun. And so I borrowed some money from my sister and um, bought this rickety old van and used some of her clothes because I was just having backpacking clothes no. and went out there. And at first I thought, my God, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> I, it, my untrained eyes, the place looked ugly. It was just very mm-hmm. shades of brown. I came to actually think it was the most beautiful place in the whole world because of Canyon Dachey nearby. And, and the ramshackle buildings, one road through town dirt, one grocery store, one gas station, and the boarding school building was very dilapidated. Their playground was just a, a, a lot of dirt. That was just dirt. Everything was dirt. And so, yeah. and so the, the, <laughs> Principal, at first, looked really dubious at me. He thought He said, are you a hippie? <laughs> I said,
5: <laughs> no,
3: no, I'm not a hippie. I'm just unconventional. And um, he said, well, we, we don't take kindly to hippies in this part. I said, I, I assure you, I am not that. I might look like one because these are borrowed clothes. As soon as I get a paycheck, I'll dress like all of you. And and so we ended up becoming best friends. He was a black man from the South and he really was sympathetic with my way of pract- of teaching because I broke all the rules. These stupid wow. Dick and Jane books were irrelevant to the Navajo yeah. students. So we made our own curriculum and he let me get away with it. And in the end he reported what I was doing to Washington DC and cause, and they, 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 said that I should be a model of uh, the pilot program for bilingual, bicultural education. And so I was interviewed by the BBC, by a French team who came and filmed our classroom. But anyway, in the beginning, it was horrible. I I couldn't relate to the students. They didn't look Mm -hmm. at me and...
2: So, think, so, I'm I'm just curious because you were saying uh, how difficult the Navajo language is to learn. Uh, how many languages did you speak before you got there?
3: Um, I spoke French, English, um, some Spanish, Italian, and German.
2: Wow, five languages. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I'm always so so jealous of people who speak so many different languages. I mean, I speak, you know, I, I know a little bit of Hebrew. I learned Hebrew as a kid, but I've forgotten most of it. But I always try and learn just one or two language, one or two words in any language of where I'm going, whether it's Spanish or French or German, just to be able to be polite. Um, but, but it's language to me is like one of those skills that like my sister has it. She translates from different languages in Israel, but, 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 but it's, it's really tough. Um, what happened when you started to learn the Navajo language? Did that change your relationship at all to the people?
3: Dramatically. So anyway, I, I, after a week, I got nowhere. I didn't know how to teach these kids and the white teachers were, said very mean things about the children that they couldn't learn and and uh that they hated being there and they're just waiting to retire get their government pension i mean it was all so grim and so i told my father i i really made a mistake i didn't want to be there i couldn't reach the students i couldn't make any contact i was just it was just so frustrating and he said you you cannot judge a person a place their land their culture traditions in a week So you've got to hang in there sometime. How about hang in there three months? And then if you still feel that way, then you come home and look for a job back east. I said, okay. Well, that very next day, Donna Scott, the teacher aide who's Navajo, whose father was very famous, R.C. Gorman, who's the code talker. And so she, she had lived on military bases around the country. So she was not only a traditional Navajo, and and immersed in all her culture, but she was also immersed in white culture. So she spoke, spoke English fluently. And she said to me, normally Navajos at that era, 50 years ago, were very shy and deferential. But she stepped forward and said, I see how hard you're trying. You're very different from the other white teachers. You really want to make contact and I can help you. So she invited me home and over dinner, she started telling me about NAVO culture. She explained why the kids wouldn't look at me and talk to me. It's because number one, they were so shy. They weren't used to white people. They came from very remote areas. Number two, they were being respectful. It's considered extremely rude in traditional NAVO culture to look somebody right in the eye that you don't know. It's aggressive. And, um, And so, and number three they didn't talk to me because believe it or not they reached fourth grade and they could barely speak english Uh and so she said she said if i teach you a few words of navajo then it will make a huge difference because the children will see you really want to be their friend you want to connect with them you are interested in them you're not bored with them like the white teachers and so she taught me how to say, good morning, my children. My name is Erica Elliott. Uh, what's your name and where do you come from? So the next morning, I do, Just out
2: of curiosity, how do you say good morning? Just the, just good morning.
3: Yate, eh, yate, eh bine. Yate yat eh eh means good, hello. Bine means morning. Yate, eh So I walked in, I practiced all night making these bizarre clicking glottal sounds that don't exist in English at all. And so I went in there and just sort of said a prayer that I would say it right. So I said, And everybody looked up for the very first time we made eye contact. (laughs) And then a girl put her hand over her mouth and giggled and the whole room burst out laughing. And that was the beginning Of a love affair between me and the students and after that the the boldest boy in the class billy Begay, who spoke the most english came up to my desk and he couldn't say elliot that was too hard so he said in his staccato navajo said take me home i I said what (laughs) he i looked at donna scott and said what what does he mean and she said he wants you to check him out of the boarding school. I said him uh, uh, and take him home. I said what am I you mean on the weekend? And she said yes. I said am I allowed to do that? She said yes, but nobody does it. You have to fill out a lot of paperwork. Uh, so that became the beginning of a tradition. So I took him on the weekend to his home deep into the most beautiful mysterious magical place i've ever been to in my life canyon dashay and and his home was in a hogan very traditional like as though it was 100 years ago or 150 oh, wow. years ago and we rode horses together bareback with his brothers they treated me with such kindness i couldn't understand a word they said but they were making jokes. And so I would laugh, they would laugh. We would laugh hysterically and we had no idea what we're saying. (laughs) I mean, just so much goodwill. And when I came back after the weekend was over, I spent the night there, the whole school knew about it. And so this is the beginning of how I formed my own curriculum. I said to the children, okay, I want, they're all good artists. I want you to draw a picture on these paper with the colored pencils. And underneath it, I want you to write two sentences. And I, some of them didn't know what the word sentence was, but I, but I just tried tried it out. And so one of the boys did this beautiful drawing of the canyon with a horse racing across the canyon with this white woman bareback clinging for dear life on the main with her <laughs> ponytail straight out. And under the picture, he said my teacher t e e c h i r and mm. and this was how we developed our curriculum and guess what happened sam it, because there was so much love between us they saw how much i cared they weren't used to being cared about like this by white people so and and I learned more and more and more Navajo and the more Navajo I learned the more they opened up to me and started inviting me to their ceremonies and everything but I'm going to tell you something seemingly miraculous that happened. Okay. So we go from them I,
2: I tell you what, why don't you hold it there? Okay, because we got to take another break. Okay. And so when we come back, then then tell us about this, this okay. uh, 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 ceremony or, or whatever the story okay. you're going to tell us. I also want to mention to you that Patty, one of my loyal listeners says thank you for not giving up on the children. Okay. Um, so uh, I know it's it's when faced with a situation like that it can be very difficult to know whether you're doing the right thing or not how to get through to them but once you get through to them once you find that that little in it makes all the difference in the world so wonderful erica so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we're speaking this hour with dr erica elliott and we will be right back after these messages
6: howdy i am joseph franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast
2: And welcome back to The Conscious Consultant Now, Awakening Humanity. So, Erica, you're about to relate to us a little story about your okay. experience with the children.
3: So, okay. So, what happened, I, I, it's miraculous, um, is that they went from barely speaking English, a few words, to by the end of the school year there was a regional speech contest for the whole region Mm. and i entered three students and they won they won they won and and so i kept the newspaper clipping of the three people in their traditional outfits and everything in the story because i thought this is hard to believe i have to prove it because
4: (laughs) no one would believe
3: it and and the Key is here's the key. How can they possibly do that? It was love. They knew mm. how much I loved them and they wanted desperately for me to know about their life. And so they learned English so fast so they could wow. write stories and, and give them to me as a gift about their life. It it was so amazing what love and caring for them
2: could yeah. do. It
3: created a miracle. And so anyway, so
2: how how long did you stay? I I just want to move us along because you have so many amazing, interesting experiences. I want to try and get to some of the really juicy ones, but how long did you stay as a teacher uh, in that place?
3: Two years. And then I wanted to really do a deep dive into learn fluent Navajo and live like people did uh, before the white man came. So there was a family It was was, um, actually the grandparents of my Navajo boyfriend, and they lived in the middle of nowhere, and so I asked if I could (laughs) be their sheep herder. They had 594 sheep and goats, and they had a son who never went to school because he was, now you'd say, cognitively delayed, used to say retarded. And so I asked if I could have his job.
5: <laughs> <So> <laughs>
3: they thought I, I was crazy because a white woman school teacher coming and herding sheep for three months. And so I I did that and I learned how to butcher sheep, which was uh, really a really hard thing for me to come. But they do it in such spirituality. They put the corn pollen on the sheep's forehead and say a prayer, very mm. re- very spiritually oriented, asking brother sheep to give his life so that people can go on living. I learned how to shear sheep, uh, castrate. I learned how to card the wool, spin, dye the wool. Wow. I'd already they'd already taught me how to weave, so I, I wove uh, Navajo rugs on a stand-up loom attached to a tree. Oh, wow. And wow. Uh, and then after that. I decided that I wanted to learn more about other Native people. And that's when I went into the Peace Corps and worked high in the Andes. But separating from the Navos was a very painful, heartbreaking experience that, that I, I did. But I knew I had to do it because if I didn't do it, I'd be there the rest of my life, being married to my boyfriend, having six children. And I knew since I was a little girl, I had... A purpose, and I knew I hadn't found it yet, even though this was one of the most rewarding thing I could ever imagine in my life in. I'm,
4: I'm, I'm
2: curious. So when you went to the Andes, you went to Ecuador, right? Yes. so I, I have actually been to Ecuador. I loved it, I've been to Quito and Baños and, and the Galapagos Islands. When you went there and you learned about sort of the indigenous cultures in the Andes, did you find any similarities with the Navajo people?
3: None.
2: None. Wow.
3: No. Except totally. that they were land-based. They were very connected to nature. Mm-hmm. That that that's where um that's where it ended.
2: So so when with all this experience, what made you decide to become a doctor? <laughs> was it just that genetic in your DNA? It was
3: genetic, but I didn't honor that because I didn't want to do ah. something just because it was in my genes. I wanted to find my purpose, not my mm-hmm. ancestor's purpose. I wanted to find my purpose, and I also had a huge misconception about what it took to be a doctor, because my only role model, which I talk about all this in Memoir 2, which I'm just finishing up, and um, about my search for purpose, and my Uncle Ernst in Switzerland, I visited him after college, and he was a total genius. I mean, he was 50 years ahead of medical establishment and I, I, I was so blown away. He taught, he treated people from all over the world. He even treated Conrad um, uh, Adenauer and some of the people in the Vatican all, all over came to him because he could get people well where nobody else could. And so I had this very inflated idea and, about what it takes to be a doctor. and. Uh, he he's a genius. And I thought, I'm not a genius. There's no right. way I, I could be like that. I'm I'm not smart enough. And so I just dismissed it and, and went all over the place. But all along the way I was gathering information about what I needed for my life purpose and what I got from the Navajos, is I I learned that whatever I do, it has to be involved with teaching, but not just teaching facts, mm. teaching and empowering the person empowering them and done with love, which I ended up doing as a doctor. So mm-hmm. all along the way I learned things that led me towards being a doctor. And then I had a revelation. When I was teaching for Our Bound and um and uh being uh EMT and stuff like that, I decided to take some uh advanced placement biology and chemistry because I had in college, because I had such a good German education, mm-hmm. I tested out of all those requirements, unfortunately. So uh, in my class of advanced placement, every one of them were pre-med students. And to my shock, they were not geniuses. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, you don't have to be a genius to be a doctor. <laughs> right, and I mean, right. there was no critical thinking. They'd never mm. asked, why is this true and how do we know? No, no critical thinking, mm. excellent memorization skills. They could right. pair back uh, reams of information. I thought, geez, I can do this. And, and so then that-
2: You eventually, oh, but school. you did eventually go back to, to the Navajo people. Yeah, so yeah. How, after
3: I got my degree, I went back. It, so how long, what I was the a, total
2: gap in years from when you left?
3: 13, 13.
2: 13 years, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I
3: had a debt of gratitude so I went back to serve the Navajo people because I loved them so much. And they, they made such a profound impact on me. And they it was the beginning of my search for purpose. And, and what I learned there profoundly affected me the rest of my life.
2: And, and when you came back to them, though, uh, you came back to a different Navajo community, correct? Yes, yes. So, so so, they didn't know that you had a background when you came back to them. They didn't know you had a background with the with Navajo people. They didn't know you had
3: They They learned very people. quick because <laughs> I would start talking Navajo to the grandmothers who didn't speak a word of English. I would say, come on in and have a seat, Grandma. And they would just be in total shock. Mm. And they'd say, where are you from? Are, are you Navajo? And so, <laughs> and so uh, it was, it, so they all knew about me. They all knew about gotcha. my past.
2: And then when you came back, and we just have a couple of minutes before break. Um, so when you came back in. How did it feel to be back with the people th- that you had spent time with before? W- was it did it feel like a coming home, or did it feel more like a, um, a, a um, you, you're ready for this part of your life? I don't know if I'm explaining that right. It
3: it it felt like um, I was ready for this part of my life, and and I wanted to use this part of my life. As saying thank you, and so mm. I served two years, and it was an underserved area. It was terribly rough. They, they didn't mm. have uh, at times. I was the only doctor of a busy outpatient clinic, a little hospital, and a little emergency room. I, I was way overextended, and I wasn't trained as an ER doc. I was trained as family practice. I was flying by the seat of my pants. But the Navajo people normally were very critical. at at this place, this hospital of white doctors, because they felt they were being used as guinea pigs because they come there right after their training. Mm. And, and I was in that category, but they were always very, very tolerant of me. And, and Mm. they um, brought me little gifts and everything. And nobody criticized me for, you know, using a book to set a a compound fracture. I mean, that's crazy. Mm. But I wasn't, I was put in a situation that was way over my head. And I had no choice. I had no choice. I had to do the best I could. I was delivering breech babies. Nobody does that. They get C-sections, they get C-sections. And it was terrifying for me. But and that's why I couldn't stay longer than two years because I, I was working 100 hours a week. I was so profoundly sleep deprived. Plus, Oof. the University of New Mexico had offered me a position as assistant professor there because they said my experience at Cuba was the equivalent of 10 years elsewhere.
2: Wow, <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Okay. It, it's time, believe it or not, time to take our last break. So, when we come back, I would love to get some insights from you about what really what kind of experiences with the Navo people really changed you from the inside out like what really opened you up from a, 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 a an emotional a spiritual and energetic point of view that really surprised you in the process okay
3: yes yes I'd love to
2: wonderful dr erica so everyone please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we're speaking this hour with dr erica elliott author of the book medicine and miracles in the high mountain and we'll get to some of those miracles when we come back right after this hey everybody it's tommy d the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. So, so, so Dr. Erica, when you came back to the the Navajo people, and even the first time, you really had an opportunity to immerse yourself in their culture, in their way of life. What about their way of life? I mean, obviously, it's very different from us as Westerners. The the indigenous cultures are, are so different. They're so rich in different ways. But what for you was the most profound part of it? What really... Um, you know, shook you up from the inside out of your experiences?
3: Okay, it was all profound. But what really shook me up is the miracles that I experienced because my poor little brain was trying to explain logically how this could happen, and I couldn't possibly. So it, it was so shook me up. And um, so what happened was several Navajo families said they wanted to quote adopt me not literally and they called me by kinship terms which is in the Navajo way a form of expressing affection because kinship is everything it's more important than money or your career or you know how how brilliant you are it's kinship and clan and so forth so so they called me my daughter my sister and um. so forth and i was supposed to call them by kinship terms meaning we were really bonded and um, so this one family, um, the mother, Shima, means my mother, she, my, ma, Shima said, um, we, we would like to tell you about something that's kind of secret because white people are not supposed to participate. They're not allowed to. And mm-hmm. they said, we belong to the Native American church. And I didn't know what that was back then. And, and I, I, they said it's using plant medicine. I didn't know what they meant by that either. Because remember, (laughs) I had just arrived, I had been on the reservation about a month. And, um, Uh and so I I was just learning Navajo and could only speak a few words. And uh, so they had to explain everything to me. And She's, she's finally said it's peyote that they gather in Texas every year. And they they sa- she said they use it for prayer and for spirituality. And this, the guy who leads it is not called a medicine man. It's called a road man because mm-hmm. this is borrowed from the Plains Indian. The Lakota uh, found this plant medicine during times of great suffering in the 1860s when they're decimated. And uh-huh. they were in such grief. And so this was a form of consolation and prayer, and um, and so the other tribes adopted it, and the the Navos adopted it too. And so, so that the person who runs it's a roadman, whereas the traditional ceremonies they're run by medicine men. And so. um, So she said that uh that I she would like to invite me to the next one. And I, I was kind of scared because I, I thought, oh my god, this is gonna make me kind of uh cra- hallucinate and everything. That kind of seems <laughs> it'll it'll
2: make you a real hippie.
3: <laughs> yeah, it'll make me a real hippie. <laughs> and so and so I, I was scared and she said that I had to get rid of white man's clothes. And I was dressed so regally in, in their traditional clothing with the velvet skirt and the satin skirt and all the turquoise and silver. I, I looked gorgeous. And and then the hair, I had long hair, was made into a Navajo knot with the yarn around it. I looked like I was ready to go to a Navajo prom. And so anyway, I we filed in there and um, she sat right next to me on her Pendleton blanket. <clears throat> and she said, don't worry, I'll tell you everything what to do. And it was all in Navajo. Occasionally you'd hear the word Jesus, but that was it. Everything was Navajo. So I didn't understand anything. And um, and the, the peyote went around in um, three different forms, the bud, the powder, and the tea, and it tasted terrible. And mm-hmm. I had to try really hard not to throw up because Shema, told me that when you throw up, it's the evil coming out of you. <laughs> and I didn't want people to know I was evil. So I tried to gag it back. And um, <laughs> and so anyway, uh, the, the ceremony was for a baby. And I saw across the circle, the baby was very sick and hadn't responded to Western medicine, antibiotics, nothing. And, um, and so I, I, I was watching the baby get better the whole, evening that they were praying and singing and so one of the things that happens in peyote ceremonies you take these hand rolled cigarettes made of herbs that are gathered on the san francisco peaks in arizona and you inhale then you exhale and then you say a prayer and so everybody did that and then my navajo shima next to me did it and then she handed me the hand rolled cigarette and she said in english she whispered just pass it on and i didn't just pass it on i inhaled exhaled and i said a prayer in navajo that i'd never heard before in my life and while i was praying part of my brain was talking to me and saying this isn't real this is impossible you cannot be saying a prayer in navajo this, this is a big hallucination. This isn't real. Don't take it seriously. It's just like a dream. And so I, I was so mixed up so, and then I passed it on. Okay. The next thing that went around was the water drum. It's in a metal container with water and a deer hide stretched over it. And the sound is very um, ethereal. And then the beat is like the beat of your own heart and people would sing and the same thing happened after shima sang she passed it to me and said the same thing just pass it on and i didn't and i started drumming hey nayanga hey nay yo 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 I, I, I was singing a song i'd never heard in my life and i said the same thing this isn't real you're you're hallucinating this couldn't be possible it's it's forget it and so Anyway, by the end of the ceremony, we filed out, we kneeled down, touched the earth with our forehead, we fanned ourselves with the eagle feather fan, and we went into the nearby cinder block house and we sat on a sheet on the floor with the huge spread for breakfast, uh, mutton stew, fried bread, and canned peaches. And the the road man started looking right at me and started talking, and then he paused like he was waiting for me to say something, and then he'd talk again and pause and i felt really uncomfortable the peyote had long worn off i I didn't know what he was talking about and he kept talking and finally (laughs) i sheepishly said uh you know I, i i i don't speak Navajo. i i i'm so sorry i can't understand what you're saying and everybody burst out laughing and he said, you sure talked up a storm last night. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and that was what, and then another miracle that totally blew my socks off was a healing miracle. And mm. that was that one of the kids in my classroom said, Elliot, Elliot, you have a goiter. I, I didn't have a goiter. Goiters are when your thyroid gets swollen from lack of iodine, which was common uh. then but uh-huh. I had a lump here that was really big and I had felt it, it felt like a rock and it was big enough so so the children were noticing like there's something uh-huh. wrong with you. And so I was so scared the way my patients are, they try to ignore it and think it's gonna go away. Well, obviously it was getting bigger and, and it was rock hard and immobile. And mm. so, finally I thought I better go do something so I drove two hours to a charity hospital um, and uh, at Sage Memorial Hospital and I, I hated hospitals who would guess I'd ever be a doctor they smell bad like <laughs>
5: disinfected,
3: and they're very sterile and everybody was very serious no sense of humor and yeah. I, I didn't like it being there at all and so the internist came in and he felt it he said this this feels like cancer like no no bedside manner at all this oh, feels geez. like cancer we're gonna to have to do a biopsy and so he said i'll schedule that for you so i i walked out of there with no intention of ever coming back and mm. because i was so scared and it's a good thing i followed my inner compass because i would have never had what i'm about to tell you if i'd gone the western way and so my teacher aide said, oh, I know a medicine man who can help you. So she gave me these very typical Navajo instructions. You go down the wash, and then uh, 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 then you'll see a big sagebrush on your left. And then you go a little bit farther, and you'll see two pinyon trees. You turn right there, and then you go. In other words, I got completely lost. <laughs> and I finally found the medicine man, and to my dismay, after he heard my story, he said, this isn't my specialty (laughs) (laughs) So he told me about a hopi medicine man and so i spent a whole day another whole day looking for this medicine man and he was out herding sheep it took me a whole day to find him Uh and he said the same thing so i thought oh my god so i told my navajo family i told shima that it it was hopeless I, i i couldn't find help she said no problem we'll have a ceremony for you. They can help you. We can get rid of this. Mm-hmm. And so she said, but we'll have to share the ceremony with somebody else because it's very expensive to put on a peyote ceremony. You have to butcher a sheep and, and their uh, sheep is their money in the bank. That's their savings. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they don't have money in the bank. These are their their livestock. And so butchering a sheep is a big deal. And then they have to pay the roadman on top of it. And so they shared it with a family who had another sick baby that didn't respond to Western medicine. And so during the ceremony, uh, I, for, I sort of forgot that it was for me and I was focused on the baby. I was watching the baby, the change color from copper red to more brown color, the eyes from being all mucousy and glazed over to clear and start gurgling, looking at its mom. I was just blown away watching Right in front of my eyes, this baby getting better, completely forgot about me. And anyway, to jump ahead, when the peyote ceremony was over and we're back having our breakfast in the nearby cinder block house, everybody stared at me. Nobody touched their food. They just stared Mm. at me. And I didn't know why they were staring at me. And I was really uncomfortable. What are they looking at? And then I remembered. My hand flew to this place and it wasn't there.
2: And oh, to this wow.
3: day, this day, you'll sometimes see me going like this. So this is 50 years later. It was so shocking to me that I wow. kept going like this to see if it would come back. And right. and it never came back and I I don't know how to explain it. I could make up a story about quantum physics and so forth, but the truth is these things happen even if we can't in our limited brain explain it. And so it told me that we are living in a tiny, tiny reality and so much more is capable, but we're living in a box and we can't see beyond the box.
2: Yeah, well, Erica, unfortunately, we're over time, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so so much for coming on the show today. Again, if you want to read more and and learn more of it, miracles, uh, um, medicine and miracles in the high desert, available in all the major booksellers, Amazon all over the place. Uh, Erica, just people want to learn more about you or get in touch with you? Do you have a website?
3: Yeah, I have two websites. One is inactive, but they'll learn a lot about me there. But it's inactive because I'm not taking new patients. That's simply uh, EricaElliottMD.com. Okay. But the website that they really might get a lot out of is called MusingsMemoirAndMedicine.com, Musings with an S. And on the blog site, you'll see lots of tabs that show videos and all sorts of things. But the blogs themselves, uh, the medical posts, if you click under categories medicine, your, your listeners will learn all sorts of medical information that they will not get from their mainstream doctors.
2: Uh, and uh, and America, that's, that was musings, memoir, and medicine.com?
3: Yes, musings, all one word, all one word. And, it. and it's a public service because of all the people I have to turn away. I have 1,200 patients. I wow. can't keep taking more patients. So instead, I do this as a public
2: service. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Erica, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule for coming on my show today. It's been a real delight and pleasure. I'd love to have you back. Let me know when you come out with your next book. I'd love to have you back on the show. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much. And I also, I see my my audience really loves you. They they find you very inspiring from the Uh comments I see on the Facebook live. So thank thank you you for the work you do. And thank you for being open to the experiences that you've had. And thank you, my loyal listeners, for tuning in, for commenting on the Facebook video. Um, If you missed any part of today's show, you can always find the replay on talkradio.nyc. And you can find us on all of the popular podcasting platforms, uh, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, we're everywhere. Thank you so much. Remember, we have all the great shows. Frank Harrison with the show, Frank, about health later today. Tomorrow, um, Philanthropy and Focus, always Friday. Wise Content Creates Wealth. And then we kick off Monday again with with, uh, Graham at his new time, uh, Mind Behind Leadership at 6 p.m. on Monday, followed by Sandra uh, with her show, The Edge of Every Day at 7 p.m. And we will talk to you next week.
1: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
0: Say goodbye.